Hey, welcome to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast, where we are busy demystifying the complex world of cybersecurity. I am the cybersecurity attorney. I am Brian. And uh, I'm a cybersecurity architect, specialist, whatever. I am Ryan without the B. I'm not coming up with anything fast enough to make that work. <laughs> well, we apologize for our one week absence. And I, I believe this episode is going to end up coming out one day late, but could not be helped. We had just a whole lot going on in the world. So today we're actually going to be talking a little bit about something that is a help to, I think, everybody, really. One of the big things that we try to cover here is a way to be more secure and more resilient. But sometimes it's helpful to know what are the threats that are out there. We've talked about various things, like talked about ransomware, and I can't wait to get back to that subject because there's a whole bunch of new stuff to talk about. We've talked about protecting yourself from external vulnerability scans that are looking to find ways into your systems. Today, we're going to talk about those threats that most people don't want to think about. They're the ones that are already inside the castle gate, so to speak. They're the ones who, whether intentionally or not, by use of their position, they cause you harm. We're talking about the insider threats. So Ryan, walk us through here real quick. What are the biggest insider threats that we need to think about? Well, there's quite a few different things that can come at you from inside the business, but the ones, the way we're going to kind of break these down today, just to cover them real briefly, you've got your oblivious insider, you've got your negligent insider, the insider with malice, and the professional insiders. And then finally, of course, you've got your third party or your external users. Well, fortunately, we're going to explain each one of those because it sounds like it could be any one of us on any given day could be any one of those things. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through each type of these insiders. We're going to talk about what they are. We're going to talk about what they frequently do when they have the access that results in them becoming a problem. And we're also going to talk about ways that they can be spotted, their impact can be limited, and the damage they cause can be minimized so that you're able to be as resilient as possible. And just from the start, so we can be fully aware, yes, we're asking you to be narcs. This is not just for people who own a business. If you see something going on in your business or in the company you work for that meets any of these behaviors that you hear in this episode, this is something you want to make sure that gets covered because the bottom line is if your company gets hacked, that doesn't just mean that your boss is out of a job and the shareholders are out of a little value. There's a better than even chance that your information is going to be among the data that gets taken and your job is going to be at risk because your company is in trouble. Data breaches cost millions of dollars and something in the vicinity of one half to two thirds of all small and medium sized businesses that experience a data breach go out of business within the next 18 months. That is a staggering number, which means that everyone does have an obligation to make sure that the company's information is safe because whether you like it or not, we are in this together. And sometimes maybe that means you need to take a look at who you're working for. If you don't want to be in it with the people you're working for, then maybe you need to change jobs if you can. But the bottom line is it is as much your protection as your company's protection as well. So let's just right off the bat, let's go ahead and talk about the oblivious insider. Ryan, what do you mean by oblivious insider and what kind of things do they end up doing? So again, as you pointed out, one of the most important pieces to cybersecurity is having good layers of protection and the users and the consumers of the traffic, the applications, whatever, is a major layer of that protection. Well, as a consumer of the technology and these services, you need to be aware of what the risks are and the responsibilities are with the use of those and the data that's protected and those are the data that's being passed through them, etc. There's just, there's a lot of concerns that exist with all of the digital business. Oblivious Insider is somebody who is effective 
effectively been compromised and their account is now being used in some fashion to access information as them and either exfiltrate or start ransomware or do some sort of other malicious activity. But the initial compromise comes from a user that has privileged access or at least some access to a system and is just completely unaware of. This is uh, typically the types of users that need to be monitored. Of course, most users should have some sort of monitoring around their accounts, but these are also users that probably could use a little bit of extra training as well to just kind of understand the privilege level of their account. So importantly, what we're talking about here is we're not talking about the bumbling idiot who doesn't understand. I mean, they would be included in this as well. But generally speaking, what we're talking about here is someone who has increased level of access and has been hacked, but doesn't know it. So when we're talking about making sure that we're keeping an eye on the people with the potential to be oblivious insiders, what you're really talking about is you're talking about access monitoring. You're talking about making sure that you have the proper levels of authority only being given to the proper people and least privilege at work, right? Least privilege is a great way to deal with this. Strong authentication is another really good way, either requiring multi-factor authentication to reduce the ability for someone's account to be uh, abused in this sort of way. Having some sort of like phishing resistant type of MFA would be really, really good at, at preventing some of these things. But some of these attacks come from the outside as well. And if you don't have direct management or control over a system, this could be an oblivious insider issue where like they've accessed a Salesforce or a Google account or something that's outside of your purview and your range of being able to see. So these are those kind of external threats as well as some internal, but it all comes through that same compromise. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. For more information on keeping yourself, your family, and your company protected against cyber threats, check out the Resilience Cybersecurity and Data Privacy blog. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe using any of your favorite podcast platforms. Also, please share this podcast with anyone you think would find it helpful or useful. We rely on listeners like you to help get the word out about this show, and we appreciate the support. Now, time for some more cybersecurity. So it sounds to me like one of the things in this particular case is while you have to have all of your monitoring set up, you have to make sure you can see the activity of anyone with access so that you can at least have your systems on the lookout for unusual behavior. One of the things that you honestly just need to do is audit. You simply have to go through and, and even if there's no suspicion that an account has been breached, there has to be some kind of audit to make sure that any of the high level access that has been used wasn't malicious and you just have to do it on occasion. Is that about right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of identity providers nowadays that build risk type monitoring into their authentication where they look for things like unusual login locations. You know, you've been logging in frequently from one place and all of a sudden you log in from another place, especially if it's far enough away where it would qualify as something like unusual or impossible travel, you know, logging in from two different places. It's sometimes VPN traffic can kind of trigger those type of things. But again, that's a really good indicator. But looking for infrequent access to assets and other things like that. So really, yeah, auditing and being aware of user activity and the trends that come with it is really important to being able to kind of identify some of these things that are occurring on the periphery, because without the user being aware of it and notifying you, this is really one of your only ways of being able to see this you know, until worse things happen. So this is a pretty fair statement to say that we shouldn't just disregard all those emails and messages and whatever we get of such and such as access to your account from an unusual location. Uh, I know that because of my wife's work computer that any times that she tries to log on to our Amazon account, I get a notification that someone in Atlanta is trying to log in. We shouldn't ignore those. Those are potentially important. Yep, absolutely. I think that, again, 
make sure not to click on any links that come in those emails because those are also prime targets for phishing and things like that as well. Ah, yeah, good point. However, make sure, yeah, if you see something coming to you from Google or Apple or something like that, log into the account natively, go into your normal audit trail and activity, and at least take a look at it and make sure you understand the activity. And if you don't, then start going through mitigations, change passwords, check multi-factor, make sure that nothing new has been accessed, look for all the basic kind of signs and indicators of some sort of compromise. I would ask you for an example of what you know this type of oblivious insider could do has done whatever the bottom line is that basically anything that can be done with improper access to authority has been done through this type of insider right yeah absolutely i think it's really based on what level of access they have and how protected that identity or that access is kind of indicates how extensive the potential risk or damage could be from the activity but again any of these different insider threats we're all assuming that they have some level of privileged access to a network or to network resources which would allow them the ability to pivot. So realistically, this is all kind of like initial point of compromise. And after that, all of these have got the capacity to move around kind of the same way inside the network. Go back and listen to our least privileged episode, please, please, because this it is a good one. Yeah, it's very important here. The bottom line is that literally anything that can be accessed can be destroyed. And one of the most important things you want to do is you want to minimize the surface that can be attacked. You do that by minimizing the number of people who have access to that surface. All right, let's move on to the second group. What is a negligent insider? So negligent insiders are the tougher ones to deal with. So your oblivious insider has no idea that their account is being accessed. In a lot of cases, the negligent one likely doesn't either. However, in some cases, the oblivious insider might have great security practices and maybe they're just, maybe a credential got reused somewhere. Unlucky. Yeah, exactly. It could be a matter of some sort of circumstance or coincidence that they were just the one that got hit. Negligent insider tends to be more like a person who just is either too in tune already with cybersecurity to care about following all the best practices and all the cybersecurity rules and ways and just is too above the law to be compliant. These, in a lot of cases, can be power users and in a lot of cases can be IT and security and other privileged users because they think, well, I've, I've been mm-hmm. a system admin or a security engineer for X number of years. I'll catch it. No problem. I've heard this a hundred times. My home network is super safe. I have never been hacked because I know cybersecurity and I know what I'm doing. Well, I'll be the first one to tell you right now that I've got as many layers as anybody else on my home network, and I cannot guarantee you with 100% certainty that I haven't been hacked because you know what? It's not as simple as being able to say that. And by saying that, you are showing true negligence to the fact that there are severe threats out there that go way beyond some of our ability to identify and detect until far after they've already caused Mm -hmm. significant damage. And negligence leads to that. So these negligent insiders tend to be, again, people in a lot of cases highly privileged, sometimes not, but people who tend to skirt around the rules and just really think that, you know, cybersecurity and these things are hurdles to be overcome or an obstacle to be overcome or a challenge to be run around rather than something to be pliant to uh, and looking at themselves as part of like a layer and a bigger piece of the puzzle. Well, and I'll display both my nerd flag and lawyer flag, which, yeah, it's the same flag in it. Uh, No, not entirely. (laughs) What negligent means in the legal context, the failure to use the due care that a reasonable person would use. Now, the word reasonable carries a lot of weight in a lot of these legal definitions. But generally speaking, what we're talking about here is someone who knows what is supposed to be done, knows that what is supposed to be done is appropriate, but elects not to do it or forgets to do it or is put in some position where they do something that a person in that context, in that situation, acting reasonably would not do. So one of the most important things is that a negligence insider is not someone who under emergency circumstances or under unusual circumstances like work from home during the pandemic doesn't do something that is just 
doesn't make sense under the circumstances. What it means is someone who has put themselves in a position to screw up. So even though their negligence may not be intentional, the fact that they didn't act reasonably was. I want to jump ahead to the malicious insider. So let's do this. Give me a definition and understanding of malicious insider, and then we're going to compare that to your your next category, professional insider. Yeah, absolutely. So the first two were like the really common ones that you see just kind of happen by circumstance. These next two is where it really starts to kind of get a little bit more intense from the cybersecurity side. Malicious insider is somebody who is using access to intentionally cause harm to the business. So this, in a lot of cases, means that they're destroying data, they're deploying ransomware, they're doing something with the intent of either crippling a business, causing major financial harm, or some other inherently malicious activity. So when we're talking about a malicious insider, it's someone who's themselves actively causing a problem. I guess you're right. So the first two categories is when an outsider is acting through the insider. These next two are ones where the insider themselves is performing the malicious action and they're doing so knowingly and intentionally. You hit it right there with that right word is intent. So the first two, there's really not a lot of intent in the first two. This is the unknown or this is just abuse of something without the intent. These next couple absolutely have intent involved, which changes the game a lot. It makes it a lot more serious because now you're effectively working against an adversary directly. Okay. Well, let's look at the malicious insider first here. So we've talked about that malicious insider, someone who comes in and actively does something. Describe the different types of motivations a malicious insider would have and some examples of what it looks like when a malicious insider acts. Sure. A bunch of the common types of malicious insider can be things like an employee that was just handed a termination notice. Somebody that's going to be part of like a major reduction in workforce or layoff doesn't immediately lose access. An employee that maybe has just turned disgruntled, somebody that maybe got turned down for a raise or another opportunity or something. Maybe somebody that's easily compromised financially. There were actually ransomware gangs and other threat actors out there reaching out to people at businesses they wanted to compromise and offering people large sums of money for privileged access inside of networks. That's a quick way to turn somebody to a malicious insider. You give them a financial benefit to acting maliciously, even if it's as simple as handing over keys to the kingdom. One good thing to go back and I'm going to go plug our old episodes here is go back and listen to our SIM swapping episode. One of the biggest busts of the last 20 years happened in Eastern Europe. They recently busted a massive SIM swapping enterprise where not only were they paying insiders to get that information, they were just vintage Corleone family muscling people up and threatening lives and kidnapping people in order to get insiders to provide this stuff. Yeah, it's really brutal. And of course, with these malicious insiders, it tends to be something destructive that they're after. They're either trying to hurt a business by destroying data. It can be something as simple as an employee deleting all of their personal email and their OneDrive and their whatever else on their way out the door just to try and give a good hurrah to their business or their manager on the way out the door, something that simple, all the way up to, again, handing over the keys to an advanced threat actor for financial motivation because of blackmail or uh, extortion threat. It could be a whole variety of different things. Yeah, it's that user on the inside maliciously either passing access or performing some sort of actions to hurt the business or whatever the entity is. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. We're here to help make the complex language of cybersecurity understandable. So if there are topics or issues that you'd like Ryan and I to break down in an episode, send us an email at info at fearlessparanoia.com or reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn. For more information about today's episode, be sure to check out fearlessparanoia.com where you'll find a full transcript as well as links to helpful resources and any research and reports discussed during the episode. While you're there, check out our other posts and podcasts as well as additional helpful resources for learning about cybersecurity. Now back to the show. 
tell me then, what is a professional insider? So a professional insider takes it one step further. Instead of reaching out to somebody that's on the inside of a business and trying to either coerce them or exploit them and get a hold of their access and then use their access maliciously, this would be somebody who would actually try to get proper on the inside of a business. This would be someone who would apply for positions that maybe would have privileged access at a business, whether it's contract or full-time, I guess to them, it really doesn't matter. And, you know, some of them might use proper identity, some might use an alias, whatever it takes to try and get that access. But if you can pick up a contract job with some high-level access in a business, now you're on the inside. You've got communications, you've got system access, and a lot of the stuff that you're doing is expected because you've been hired on for a job. And so now the professional insider is somebody with in-depth knowledge of how to really exploit a system and really take advantage of this type of access and do it in a way where they could probably fly very under the radar until you are far too far down the path to even be able to deal with it. So this could be a really legitimate problem. And it's something that the HR departments and talent acquisition teams really have to kind of take into consideration nowadays as a point of concern. So this is, there's another list of definitions we were talking about earlier. This is the mole. This is someone who came in, the sleeper agent. Absolutely. Yeah, the person who came in and their malicious actions were planned from before they started. Now, I guess one benefit to the professional actor versus the malicious actor is they're on a specific mission. The malicious actor, depending on their motive, may cause damage simply as was so eloquently put in Batman to watch the world burn. Yep, absolutely. In most cases, professional insider isn't going to get a job at a company and go that far just to go inside and throw down some ransomware and walk away, unless there was a huge score expected to come from it. In which case, you've got a professional insider going in and like destroying backup systems before they deploy a ransomware, but exfiltrating a copy of it first, all just with a goal of being able to truly guarantee that that ransom is going to get paid because company can't operate without what... I can think of one other possible use for an insider in that context would be if your insider happens to be part of the decision-making team on whether you pay the ransom. That could be a big one as well. Probably exposes you to some serious criminal liability and makes you easier to find. But yeah, so let's talk about these two together, I think. How do we detect these people and how do we deal with the problems preventing them and recovering from them? Yeah, that's a huge question. Um, So the biggest thing, first of all, is making sure that your disaster recovery planning is up to date, is current, following good best practices, and probably should be following at least one of the major frameworks as kind of a baseline on how to make sure you can recover from that. Remember that a disaster is anything generally unforeseen or outside of the realm of the usual that causes damage to your business. It doesn't just have to come in the form of weather or a pandemic. This is a disaster, believe me. Yeah, disaster recovery can be something like a whole series of hard drives going, like a whole RAID array going, and all of a sudden you're in a disaster. Your whole file system is down, your file shares are gone, and that's all your company data. So Mm -hmm. what do you do at that point? But yeah, again, it's things like when you set up a backup plan, you'd make sure that not one person has all the keys to all the backups in all the places. You need to distribute that workload across multiple people in order to gain and guarantee security. You need to have multiple backups. And again, those need to be distributed across multiple people in different places, securely stored. And then beyond that, you have to have a good plan of how do you deal with this when it does happen? Because I'll be honest, trying to deal with a professional insider is going to be really challenging if they get in the door. Because most of the time, if someone's willing to go through the effort to do the job interview, get hired, get into the place, they already know what they're doing when they come in. The plan was already well set, which means you're going to be in a tough spot. Your entire system already needs to be set up. This is where, again, the least privilege comes in. This is where making sure that you've got your zero trust in place so he or she can't log in as a different user and mimic other people within the company. You just need to, bottom line, expect the possibility that 
any one person could be a problem and therefore no one person can take down the kingdom. Assume hack and assume breach at all times. Assume somebody will get in, assume somebody's already in, and think what do I need to do to make sure that when somebody else gets in, the next person gets in? How are we going to make sure that we're resilient enough to deal with that? Because eventually somebody will get in. The slow drip eventually burns away the wall. Eventually the criminals find a way, they find a crack and they will exploit it and they will get in, whether it's through uh, the job interview process or whether it's trying to coerce somebody on the inside or blackmail somebody or exploit somebody on the inside to get them to do something for you. All it takes is just that one activity and that one piece of access. So you need to be ready to not only identify and audit all those different points of access, keep access tightly controlled, just in time, least privilege, and make sure that you've got all your disaster and incident recovery processes in place so that you can deal with it when they get through all of those layers. I suppose that probably the most famous example of the malicious insider probably has to be Edward Snowden, someone who didn't appear to at least come into the job with malicious intent, but developed malicious intent. That is the definition of a malicious insider. I suppose we're not going to get very many good examples of the professional insider because for the most part, if they were good, either we're not going to know about what they did, or even if we know that it was done, no one's going to necessarily just come out and admit to being had. So professional insider is probably one of the most rare because it's very targeted, hugely targeted, and it almost requires that you kind of go behind, in this case, from the adversary side, you kind of go behind enemy lines, right? You're going behind the protections of who you're going after, which puts you at a certain level of risk and vulnerability as mm. well. Detection, identification, those are big problems. And a lot of those can be dealt with with the anonymity that you get from either exploiting a malicious insider or just attacking from the outside, which is usually the safer means. So your professional insiders are going to be things like major corporate espionage spies at the government level. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, um, it could even be spies at the corporate level. It does exist with large enough corporations oh, yeah, with definitely. large enough money involved. And so really, this is the equivalent of like the white collar style cybersecurity crime as the mm -hmm. professional insider. This is somebody is trying to find like your nuclear secrets or something like somebody wants access to the Coca-Cola recipe out of the big vault or this is like Ocean's Eleven type stuff, Mission mm -hmm. Impossible type stuff at this level almost. It's a little bit more rare than the others. And I also suppose that a professional insider could also be someone who's placed inside an organization without a specific intent or without a specific action intended, but with the ability to be activated should that be necessary. But also, I guess the bigger thing is in order for a professional insider to go in, you have to have A, the belief that there is something valuable inside and B, no other real way to get it because this is the long game. You have to be willing to bide your time. And so I can see why, I mean, especially these days with the proliferation of cloud-based storage systems, with the number of vulnerabilities that seem to be coming out on a daily basis, it almost seems like taking the time and trouble to go through inserting a spy into an organization might just not be worth the time and trouble. To be honest, in most cases, it's probably not. And it's not worth, again, the risk to identification, to attribution, to any of that, unless the prize and the reward is really enough to outweigh the risk that comes with mm. it. So there's just, there's so much more risk involved, which is why, again, this is like the equivalent of phishing versus spear phishing. This is the super targeted, really highly volatile attack. And in most cases, they call it professional insider because they tend to be very successful in the very few instances that they do occur because they are professional. They are very well planned and orchestrated. All right, well, we don't have too much time left here. So I want to get on to this last item in the group that we're going to call third party. Now, it may seem kind of funny, the idea of calling a third party an insider. But these days with the proliferation of, 
I'm going to plug another previous episode, supply chain attacks. Go back and listen to our episode on supply chain attacks to get some better idea about this. But Ryan, talk to me about what you mean by a third party insider threat. Well, a third party external threat is the one everyone talks about, like Target with that HVAC account. There was a HVAC company that uh, their account got popped and it got used aggressively from the outside. So again, that's external third party. This is, let's say that HVAC company and one of their employees decides to just use the account. So now you've brought in a third party, a contractor, a vendor, a subcontract, somebody to come in and do work for you. And you've given them an account with privileged access. And then somebody inside that third party, that contract vendor goes, oh, sweet, look what I can do with this and decides to use that account. So again, it's very similar to hiring a contractor, hiring a temp, hiring a full-time employee, and then being the malicious insider. This is just a malicious insider that kind of works for a trusted partner or an associated vendor of some sort. So how do you defend best then against the third party insider threat? Absolute best practices, all the stuff we've kind of mentioned before, any third party should never have one single piece of access that they do not need to do the job that they're supposed to do. So least privilege from the get-go, just in time access where you can. So if this vendor is only going to come out and do work for you guys, maybe on site or even remotely on Thursdays from nine to 10, because that's your support contract, then set up scripting to make sure that their account is turned on and enabled at 8.45 and it's shut off at 11. And then that way you've cut off access to that account outside of pretty much any time except the agreed upon time that they're going to access it. So least privilege, just in time access, tight credentials, vendors and others should not be exempt from things like multi-factor, strong password mm. policies, all of those type of requirements. In a lot of cases, people say, well, we're going to have 20 different HVAC vendors, so they can't do MFA because it's a shared account. Well, no, don't give them shared accounts, give them 20 different accounts. It's going to be a little bit harder to scale, but it's going to be way more secure to be able to lock down each and every mm -hmm. one of those or find a way to do shared MFA over the shared account with them. If you got to set up 20 different authenticators, then you set up 20 different authenticators, but you make sure that you have some sort of secondary protection on those accounts, especially if they have any level of privilege. At well, and there's one other step I would definitely implore is don't neglect your pre-engagement investigations. Due diligence. Yes. You need to make sure that your vendors have the same security priorities that you do. Now, I'll tell you this, is, as a certified privacy professional, one of the big things that we deal with is GDPR. Now, GDPR is the privacy regime that's set up over the European Union, but thanks to kind of the ubiquity of the companies, global companies, they want to comply with EU mandates, and they've just elected that it's easier to comply everywhere. So we do get the benefit of, of a lot of kind of the good that comes out of the GDPR protections. One of the most important ones is that if you have personal data of an individual and you send that data to a vendor for any reason, whether it's payment processing, whether it's handling returns, whether it's shipping, whether it's emails, you know, using MailChimp to send out subscriber emails, that is you sending personal information to a vendor. Under the GDPR, you are responsible for how your vendor acts. The vendor can be responsible as well. And if they are either intentionally or directly negligent, there will be some assistance, but you still are responsible for the actions of your vendor. And the legal profession, the same thing is true. Ethically speaking, I'm responsible for all attorneys and staff working under me and all third-party vendors. Whatever they do, they have to comply with my ethical obligations. So just don't skip that, please. 
I implore you, do not just assume that because you aren't immediately legally obligated to do something that you shouldn't do it. This is one of those next steps that you need to take. Check your vendors out. Make sure they're doing everything that you would need to do in their position. Yeah, 100%. Due diligence is a huge part of our job. A lot of businesses with mature cybersecurity regimes usually have some sort of governance uh, and compliance department that do these type of things. They do vendor due diligence checks. They do software reviews. They do all sorts of different policy reviews and making sure that somebody's double checking your vendors is really important. Understand what you need from them. Make sure you question them. Make sure you get them on the record saying that they are compliant to it and make sure that you've covered all those bases. So you uh, don't have to have as much risk or as much worry coming from that vendor. Again, never turn a blind eye to the vendor regardless of how much DD you do, but make sure you get due diligence done. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Fearless Paranoia, talking about insider threats and helping you kind of understand the different types and how to look for them and why, no matter what your role in any business or organization is, you need to be aware of them. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with anyone who you believe could benefit from this knowledge and information. Also, please go back if there were any of those previous terms. If you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes on things like vendor security, on things like disaster recovery, things like zero trust, Make sure you go back and take a listen to those. You know, get some more information. You can follow us on social media. You can subscribe by signing up on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. And you can also sign up for new posts as they are released by going to our website, fearlessparanoia.com. There's also plenty of information on a lot of these cybersecurity topics at resiliencecybersecurity.com. You can find information about this post, resilience, and all that on the individual post for this episode on www.fearlessparanoia.com. If you have any ideas or suggestions for episodes in the future, you can let us know at info at fearlessparanoid.com or pretty much any of the other things that I've just rattled off at a speed that is both unhealthy and probably a little bit annoying to listen to. But in the need to wrap up this episode, I'll just uh, say that for Fearless Paranoia, I'm Brian. And I'm Ryan. And we'll see you next time.